actually, if we're not careful, we can become over-familiar over familiar, uh, with our passage. So we find in uh, Exodus 3 and in verse 1, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at the Lord, to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a home, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Israel, sorry, out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. The Lord bless his word to us even now. There was uh, an article uh, in after the death of Joseph and also Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, it all went very wrong for the children of Israel. They had, at that time, achieved a settled existence in Egypt thanks to the presence, the enabling, and the provision of God. The new pharaoh was concerned that the Hebrew families were producing rather rapidly. And they were concerned that they would be the uh, ethnic minority within their own country, as it were. And therefore, he took a rather drastic action. First of all, he ordered that every male child would be killed at birth that the midwives would uh, take the males aside and that they would be destroyed. But let the girls live. Let the girl babies live. 
And then they set the children of Israel. These are God's promised nation. They set them to work. Actually, they just simply and profoundly made them slaves. It was as if somehow in some way that they could thwart, they could hamper the will and the work and the plans of God. How foolish. Friends, throughout the world today, there are many countries where we cannot meet in such freedom as we have. To, to even own a copy of God's holy word is an imprisonable offense. To profess the name of Jesus could mean prosecution, persecution, imprisonment, or even simply and profoundly death. They think that if they rid these people, if they can get them to change their mind and to reject the Lord Jesus, that they, things will be okay. People will not die for a good idea. The first Christian martyr, Stephen, he went to his death. He went to, make, to meet his maker with the name of Jesus on his lips. And today we find exactly the same things happening. The birth, upbringing and subsequent events uh, in the first few chapters of Exodus well, they're well documented. They've already been covered. Suffice to say that following his murder of the Egyptian who was attacking one of his own people, he had to flee and he fled to Midian and his whole life changed. I love to meet people who were actually born in Devon, those who have always lived here all their life. It's just so lovely to meet someone. But sadly, so many of us have, have moved here and made our life here. But I just love to meet people who, who are genuine you know, uh, natives, as it were, uh, of Devon. I think it's a lovely, lovely thing. And many times we... We uproot uh, our existence and we move sometimes many, many miles. And things are never quite the same again. This was exactly the same for Moses. From having this pampered life in the palace of the king, he's now, as it were, an outlaw. He trains as a shepherd you know the circumstances that happen. You can read about it in uh, Exodus 2. I think you probably heard this uh, last week. But not only does he change his occupation, he changes his, uh, his status. If he was on Facebook, he'd change it, you see, from single suddenly to married. Because not only did he get a flock of sheep, but he got a wife as well. He got Zipporah. And uh, things went on. For the next 40 years, Moses lived in complete contrast to the former. Was it all wasted? No way. You see, God was preparing him for a unique task. God was preparing him as part of his rescue plan. And at the time, Moses certainly could not appreciate it. He was in training as a shepherd of the flock 
to shepherd God's flock. It's no coincidence whatsoever that we read, all we like sheep have gone astray. We are so in our humanness, so much like sheep. No wonder the Lord used us uh, as an example. When the Lord looked upon the crowds and he had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You stand out here. You go down into Paynton. You look around in Torquay Hub. People are drifting to and fro, most of the time without a purpose. And this is how the Lord sees us. Sheep without a shepherd. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Now Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. He came to Horeb, the mountain of the law of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. What a miracle. So many times I've heard in my uh, time as a as a pastor and a Christian, I've heard people saying, God has told me. God has said. Did he really? Remember a young man who was going to take a service in an Anglican church for the first time, and it was rather a high church. And the young man walked in, and he's got a guitar case, uh, and the minister said to him, excuse me, where are you going with that? He said, God has told me. I'm going to play some songs today. And the minister said, well, he hasn't told me, get out. (laughs) So many times our own ideas become God's will. God has said, has he really? I had a situation when we was at Kingsbridge that this girl came to see us and told us that um, she was going to divorce her husband. And uh, the bottom line is she said, God has said, That his spirit has released me from the spirit of the word. She just could not accept it. And, you know, she said, well, I know what you're going to say. I said, well, I'm sorry, but my Bible tells me something absolutely different. Be very careful when you say, God has said, God has told me. Here we see God speaking from a very unexpected source. And if you think God is speaking to you, test it. Test it out. Try it out. God is speaking as the pre-incarnate Jesus. Before Jesus was born in his human form, before the babe in Bethlehem. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of the world and the heavens and the earth and everything in it. Here is the pre-incarnate, pre-born Jesus speaking from the burning bush. You see, the Bible tells us the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord. And there is a big difference. God has his angels, his messengers, of course he does. An angel of the Lord. But there is the angel of the Lord, who is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Almighty God is not limited to the natural God is supernatural. And now he has Moses' attention through the burning bush that didn't burn. He's got Moses' attention 
Well, I think he would. If we saw a bush that was burning, I mean, when we were children growing up, we, we loved to have a fire. We couldn't wait for bonfire night and different things, but we loved to have fire somewhere and build a little fire. And all through my scouting days, oh, build a fire, build a fire. We like fire. And Moses was certainly attracted. And we see that Moses said, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Now God calls him through his son. And he calls him by name. Moses. Moses. God is a very personal God. And yes, he will speak to a nation. Yes, he will speak to a church fellowship. But so many times in the scriptures, we find God speaks to you by name. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel just thought it was Eli the priest. But Eli knew better. He speaks to Gideon. Hiding in the winepress. Gideon calls him by name. Jeremiah. Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? When God calls, he calls you by name. And the answer, here I am. This is what Moses said. Here I am. Lord, you've got my attention. I've seen the burning bush. I've heard your voice. Here I am. What about you? Do you heard the voice of God pricking and prompting you into some form of Christian service, some activity that you never dreamed would be possible? Have you sought the good and perfect will of God? See, Moses, he, he would have lived and died as a shepherd had he not listened and heard and responded to the voice of God calling him. You press on. Moses had said, here I am. And do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. You are standing in my presence. You are standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was on holy ground. Up in Lancashire, we, uh, the church we was involved with, Jackie and I used to help out with a, a Friday night club for the youth club, uh, young people. And uh, they were always there early. Didn't matter what time, they were always there early. And they, they used to be up and down on the steps outside at the windows, knocking on the windows. It's time, uh, probably half an hour before it was actually due to start. And one day, we remember it clearly, that this boy is knocking on the window and he swore. Uh, it wasn't really bad, but it was swearing anyway. And this young girl took him to task. And she said, do not dare swear. You are standing on holy ground. She knew. You know, friends, this is holy ground. 
It might just be a building. But if we believe, if we believe the promise of this word, where Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of you. This is holy ground, friends. This is holy ground. And if we were to fully realize this, we would come to this place or any place of worship with a sense of awe and majesty and godly fear. Moses, take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. Now God addresses Moses and he tells them of what he knows regarding the children of Israel. Of how he is aware of their suffering. He is aware of them crying out for release. And he explains to Moses his rescue plan. Moses, guess what? It's you. You're the one. You're the one that is going to go to Pharaoh. And you're going to be the one that says, would you mind letting God's people go? You're going to do it, Moses. You see, God uses those who are available. A bit further on, we read, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? You're calling me. Who am I? God chooses. And those he chooses, he equips. Do you remember when we was at school and uh, they used to say, right, two teams for football or wherever it was. And the two captains, of course, they'd pick all the best players. I was usually one of the last because I'm never any good at football. But they used to pick the best. In, oh, he's a, oh, he's a good goaler here. And then, you know, and, and it was us what wasn't very good. We sort of got left to the pile. Oh, well, you have to come because, you know, make the numbers up. But God chooses And those who he chooses, he uses. And those who he uses, he prepares and he equips. I want to read this. J. Oswald Sanders, wonderful man of God, wonderful Bible commentator. He says this regarding Moses. His inventory or the list of disqualifications for Moses actually being the very one who is going to enter the palace of the king with this message from God, let my people go. Listen to his list of disqualifications. He had a lack of message. He had a lack of authority. He had a lack of eloquence. He had a lack of special adaptation. There's a a scripture tied to each of these references. He had a lack of previous success. He had a lack of previous acceptance. He had a more, and yet, you see, a more complete list of objections you you wouldn't wish to find. And we find out that the anger of the Lord was raised against Moses. You see, God doesn't make mistakes. We do. God doesn't make mistakes. We were thinking uh, on Wednesday morning, um, and Jenny was there at the chapel, and they have a, the volunteers have uh, a thought for the day, and uh, they take it in turn to share a thought for the day. And Paul, who shared on uh, on Wednesday, and it, it was thinking about you know God uses who He chooses, and uh, I reminded them, and uh, I'll, I'll read this again 
but this was what a friend of ours had. And this was the list. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossiper. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was depressed. We know about Moses who stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old and Lazarus was dead. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. There is hope for us all there. You would not pick those people. If you had been God and you would have said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh with a message of repentance. And Jonah said, no way, I am off to southern Spain. He would have said, well, get lost. I'll choose, not that God would say get lost, but he would say, oh, all right, forget it. I'll choose somebody else. But God works out his purpose in the most incredible and unlikely lives. Well, we're nearly there. Look at verse 12. God said, I will be with you. Isn't that wonderful? I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent, sent you. When we're all free, you'll come back to this mount, and you will worship me here. And I think it's so important. I will be with you. If you feel impressed into some kind of Christian service, let that promise be a reality to you, friends. You know, you young people, you've no idea what the Lord might use you for if you are available. Because the promise is there. I will be with you. So many times we try and work it out on our own. Oh, Lord, I'd love to be an evangelist. I'd love to share my story. But I, I, I don't... I will be with you. You're not asked to do it on your own. You see, God spoke to Jacob earlier. And he said the same or similar kind of thing. Your descendants will be uh, like the dust of the earth. Uh, and you will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. Hallelujah. I am with you. And I will bring you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Friends, we need to cling to these promises. They are so, so precious. We love the book of Joshua. It's so exciting. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite countries to the Mediterranean Sea to the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. Hallelujah. So shall I never leave you nor forsake you. Friends, if you think that's just Old Testament teaching, Hebrews 13 and verse 5, never will I leave you, nor forsake you. There's a very interesting book you can buy called Famous Last Words 
and uh, it's, it's quite humorous and quite serious. It's interesting. What about our Lord's last work, words? He's got the disciples together. He's addressing them because very soon he would ascend to the right hand of the Father. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always. Wow. To the very end of the age. If God has promised to go with you, you cannot go wrong. He will strengthen you. He will equip you. He will encourage you. He has promised to indwell us with his Holy Spirit. How wonderful is this? Jesus commands us to go. But he promises to go with us. So let's just summarize this passage before we close. Waiting time is not wasted time. Sometimes we have to wait. Waiting time is not wasted time. One dear lady was getting in a bit of a stew. She felt that she was being called to the missionary field. And uh, she felt a clear call. And yet it hadn't happened. And then... God spoke quietly to her, and she said, I realized that I was in a hurry, but God was not. I was in a hurry, but God was not. God is a holy God who is looking for holiness in his people. Third thing, he is not unaware when trouble comes. Sometimes heaven seems silent. But this is the times when we need to cling to the promise of this wonderful, wonderful word. And I, I think the emphasis tonight is he, chose, he chooses the least likely. Well, you've seen that little catalogue, and I'm sure we could get a big, longer list than this. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, his beloved friends in Corinth. And he says this, Brothers and sisters, do not think of what you were, when you were called, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chooses who he uses, who he equips. And finally, he promises to go with us Wherever we call, whatever we are called to do, he promises to go with us. Friends, if you live on your own, the promise of his continued presence, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, is so vital. It is just so precious. You can say, with the greatest respect and dignity and honor to the Lord, Lord, you have said... You will never leave me nor forsake me. Your word tells me right the way through the scriptures. Now I need to know your presence right now in a precious and a real way. And God will answer that. So think about these things tonight, friends. Be open in your prayers. 
is God going to call me and use me for something? I think really with Jenny, I don't think she would have thought that uh, this time two years ago, maybe you would be doing what you had to do now. We think about John and Claire. Uh, I would love to have been there, Margaret, when, when they got that call that day, you know, the, the, the call in their life to, to go off to, to Ch China, Lord. Are you joking? What's wrong with painting? But you see, they claim these promises. They claim the promises that God will equip, he will use. It's nothing to do with us. We're just a vessel. We're the, like we learned on Wednesday, but we're just the crackpots, aren't we, really? We're the earthenware vessels that Paul speaks about, who God is delighted to use. Well, may the Lord bless his word to us even tonight.